Welcome to another episode of Indiana Politics. I'm Deb Chubb, and I am just delighted to be here today with Christina Hale. Uh, she is a former state representative, a uh, community activist, and most recently a candidate for U.S. Congress in Di District 5. So, um, Christina, I'd love for you to just tell us more about yourself first. Well, thank you so much for having me here. And I'm glad people are paying attention because we can see just how things have escalated and how significant, you know, politics have become in our daily lives. Um, we're all feeling it. But yeah, I'm Christina Hale, and I would not be here talking to you right now if it weren't for Dub Chup. Because when I got, uh, I was pregnant as a teenager. And I was having a struggle in my hometown of Michigan City. And I wanted to go back to school and put myself through college and work the jobs I needed to to be able to afford that and afford quality care. And it seemed impossible. But Deb was a young woman attorney at the time. She had the same problems I had, you know, and she wanted quality care for her kids. And so she helped... Uh, form a child care consortium in my hometown, the Michigan City Child Care Consortium. It became a high quality preschool that's won awards um, and has now been there for more than 20 years. And Deb and some of her colleagues helped me get my little son Owen into their Giant Steps program so I could do just that and work the jobs I needed to and eventually earn my degree from Purdue and have a career working um, really for causes, whether it was community and economic development or education and beginning to learn the, uh, how important the triangulation of those things are to set people up for success. And then most of my career I spent as an executive leader at Kiwanis International, which is globally headquartered in Indianapolis. And it's a civic organization where regular people come together in more than 80 countries around the world to work on problems in their communities, to bring solutions for people, and then they network to leverage all of their time and talent and effort to solve problems of general concern for the world, like universal salt iodization, like ensuring healthy births in, in the most difficult countries to give birth. And really, it was this experience that led me to run for office. But it all started by that little bit of help, you know, when things go wrong. And so, Deb, I just will always be grateful to you, not only for that and how you teed me up for success in a really significant way, at an important time for me, but my son, too, who then was prepared for kindergarten and could be a student that was ready to learn and to read to learn and all those all those things that um, might not have happened if you hadn't have been there for me. Oh my gosh, you're so you're so sweet. That is so nice of you to say. And I and frankly, I am very proud of the work that um, that I did there at the consortium. Um, I, that was my goal. Um, I told people here and there that really um, it wasn't so much about the childcare. My mission really was to empower women, and um, and that really was. You know, that's really what uh, I was doing, and that's what we did for many years there. And so I, I am very proud of that work. Um, and, and I'm so glad that you bring up the issue of childcare. And I want to come back to that topic 
because um, that is important. I have always believed, I still believe that that is the biggest impediment to women's financial success. Uh, And so, but I want to come back to that. But first, I really want to talk about the Democratic Party and the experience you had. um, It was, you know, it was heartbreaking. Like, I mean, and I worked with 29 other outstanding women candidates who also had, uh, you know, devastating uh, results in this election. And so I want to talk about what we need to do in the Democratic Party to change this. (laughs) We all saw what happened in Georgia. We're not Georgia. We're, you know, but we certainly could learn some things from their playbook. And so tell us what you think we need to do here in Indiana in the Democratic Party to get more success. That's a great question. And you know, when I first ran for the Indiana General Assembly, I ran against uh, an incumbent that had been there for more than 10 years, a Republican in a forever Republican state house district. And I was the only Democratic pickup that year running against an incumbent but I only won by 51 votes out of about 36,000 cast. And, you know, it was hard and hard work. It, it can happen. We have exceptions, but it takes organization. And I left the General Assembly to run for Lieutenant Governor in 2016. And when you're running for Lieutenant Governor, you're not at all the premier events. You know, my running mate, John Gregg, at the top of the ticket was going to the big events, um, in the more urban settings and that's where you'd see our u.s senate candidates and everything but the lg's job at least it was my job was to go around to the tertiary markets and boy did i learn so much by seeing and showing up and seeing what was no longer there and um i'll say what we need is a way to organize and to have people show up and participate on a regular basis And that means regular meeting rhythms. It means assignments. It means people who will show up and recruiting doers, doers who will get out there and do the hard work it takes to be organized. Because I think you're absolutely right, Deb. We are not like Georgia. Our demographics are very different. Um, We don't have, I think, um, well, the challenges are just, we're facing are different and we're going to have to have customized solutions for Indiana, but we're absolutely going to have to organize and be strategic so that then we can fit in, fill in with the tactics customized to Indiana. It's going to take to be prepared to win when, when things start to shift and um, it becomes a little bit easier for, for Democrats to compete. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, you know, uh, this year, as you know, um, there'll be new leadership in the Democratic Party. So I'm really looking forward to a new plan. And um, and I think um, what I'm looking for is more totally grassroots level um, interaction. Um, we don't have enough people at the county level bringing in uh, people at the precinct committee level. Um, and I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this terrific program that Edie Hardcastle down in uh, Evansville put out called the Neighborhood Leaders Program. And it was you know, almost exactly like the precinct committee uh, chair structure, but people were assigned much smaller geographical areas. So a person would adopt a neighborhood and, um, and that person had maybe 35 homes that they would, you know, knock on the door, get to know people and collect good data, update, you know, databases and really talk to people and build relationships. 
and then stay with that, um, that small neighborhood or year after year. So really establishing good, good interaction and good um, relationships. Um, and I think that's what is really gonna, that would be the thing I think that is gonna make the most difference. Um, I, in my experience in the last year, working with these great uh, 29 outstanding uh, progressive women uh, running for state legislature, we of course pivoted like everybody to online interaction uh, because of you know COVID, um, but it became clear too late in my mind <laughs> that because of the isolated stream of information that each person gets on social media, um, the algorithms uh, will only send you information that aligns with your indicated preferences. So in that way, we really were shut out from really you know, reaching people who weren't already going to vote for our candidates. And so we're gonna to have to reach underneath that and really do face-to-face, one-on-one, grassroots interaction. And of course, because I work with young children for so many years, I know that um, real learning uh, is relationship-based. <laughs> so, so that is what we'll need to do in my opinion. So I am hoping that um, with new leadership um, up and down and with new engagement, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the nasty women phenomenon that happened in Indiana. Um, I still can't really explain what happened, uh, why over 50,000 women decided to join one particular um, Facebook group that uh, required you really just to say you were gonna vote for Joe Biden. So then tell me like, you know, what was your experience in the campaign? You know, how did you, did you work with nasty women? And tell us more about your campaign this last year and what you learned. Well, I learned a whole lot and I'll tell you much of what we did um, was engagement. And, you know, I'm really proud to say I had more than 50 college and high school fellows that all worked more than 10 hours a week um, for, for months for the campaign. And then as it got closer, they worked a whole lot more hours. And we had more than 700 people signing up for GOTV calls and just an extremely robust um, GOTV and, and voter engagement program. But I think, you know, you, you talked about state leadership and organization at more of the micro level. And then, too, how do you handle it on a campaign? And campaigns are all very different. And what was different about my campaign than, say, my statehouse campaign is that this one was much more um, broadcast media focused. So a congressional campaign, you're doing a lot more paid communications than you would for a city council seat or for a state house seat or something like that. So um, there's a different budget that you have to raise funds for. There are different tactics that you have to take on and you're also facing, you know, different challenges, gerrymandered maps and, um, all, all kinds of things. So um, what I learned is something that I mentioned earlier too. You want to have around you people who are engaged and committed and you want the doers, the people who are going to show up. And it's it feels good to have somebody like your Facebook page and to click and retweet. But what we really need are people to show up. Yes. We need people to get out and vote. 
And so we also have to make it easier for that to happen. But I'll tell you, you know, in my race, um, 14,000 more people came out to vote for Donald Trump in 2020 in Hamilton County, just one of the many counties in the district, than had voted for him in 2016. And a lot of those people were never communicated with. Nobody gave them a call. Forgive me, I'm a dog mom. Or a, you might hear a little more barking. You might, actually are gonna hear my mean dog mom voice. One second here. <laughs> yes, I, I'm not sure if that'll work. I might, I might have to excuse myself a moment and let him out. That's all right. Uh, we all have our challenges, you know, and working for a campaign from home was a challenge too. There's a squirrel yeah. out that window that, that made my life difficult as a congressional <laughs> candidate, let me tell you. Um, but uh, there are just so many things and I think you have to be prepared to, to meet the exigencies of the moment and the challenges of the moment and our data issues in, in 2020 will be different than the data issues in 2022 and 2024. Um, so I think what we need is a statewide CEO with a resume that um, demonstrates they can run organizations, membership organizations, they can um, bring in the human capital, they can also raise the funds that the state party needs, and they can um, cast that strategic vision that we can then execute statewide. And Deb, I think you're absolutely right. Um, how we do it at the county level and at the neighborhood level and the precinct level is going to be really important. And so coming up with that game plan and being able to execute it, but also being very nimble because something we can count on is that how we do elections is going to be constantly changing. So when people gave up their landlines, data suddenly changed, right? And, and what was more important was making sure we could reach people here. Well, that's harder to do. You know, when people are no longer watching 60 Minutes on CBS on traditional cable, and instead they're they're hiding from campaign advertising by downloading their next favorite show on Netflix, that's going to be different. And, you know, digital advertising is always going to be changing. And at some point, it's not going to be important to be on Facebook, but you're going to be necessarily needing um, to be on whatever the next TikTok is, or, yeah. you know, we haven't even imagined it, but it's going to be very dynamic and it's going to be a very accelerated pace. And I think something that's different is the winners are also going to be able to forecast and adjust their campaigns to be where people are. And another accelerating factor is going to be, we have an aging population. And as people age out of voting because they no longer can vote, um, you know, we're gonna have a younger population. And um, I think too, that's when you're going to see like, young people, they're gonna demand to be able to vote in a convenient way, at a convenient time. And, um, all of this is going to um, it's going to have to be managed in a way where we have top professional talent um, at the top and also um, the means to engage more people and engage the right people. And that's anyone who's going to show up and actually do the work in my book to make sure that, that we have winning strategies and we're working the tactics that will eventually lead to our success.
I think, oh, you're so smart. And I think um, so much of what you just said there is, uh, is so important, especially the part about being ready to change at a given moment. And I think that is one of the problems with you know, the Democratic Party was that there was some stubbornness there um, to really just move with what was happening minute to minute and changing tactics minute to minute. Uh, there was this notion that it you know, had worked before, that's all, this has always been this way, and that's the way we're going to do it. And you're so right, that just isn't going to, that isn't going to work anymore. Um, and too, you know, yeah, I think our politics within politics, we all know we have politics um, in our neighborhoods, you know, with our homeowners associations, as well as, you know, um, with our state party and, you know, all these things intersect and being honest about that, I think too, and then being intentional to say like, we don't have time for this. We've got to be better organized and set some of these these things aside. So if it means we're no longer having the traditional ham and beans dinner, like we always did then, cause no one's showing up, you know, but it's going to hurt um, Cheryl McFly's feelings because we're not having the ham and beans right. dinner anymore. You know, then we're going to have to have those difficult conversations and, you know, um, Let's face it, one of the most difficult things about organizing is it's really hard to fire a volunteer or to hurt a volunteer's feelings. And um, setting ourselves up to, to have that more honest but empathetic space when we're dealing with volunteers who are in it for the right reasons, um, that, you know, that's, that's the hard part of it too. And I think Democrats, we're so nice and kind that sometimes we're also a little afraid to rock the boat because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and we might have to toughen up a little bit. Right. Right. Okay. So, and I, so now I want to talk to you a little bit about, um, about, uh, you know, national politics and national policies. Um, you of course had an awesome uh, platform in your federal um, election race. And, and of course, childcare was at the top of that list. Um, like I said before, I truly believe that that is one of the biggest um, impediments to women's financial success and uh, was happy to hear that uh, Biden uh, is proposing a policy of uh, universal uh, uh, preschool for three and four year olds. Um, that's not everything. Um, we know that children exist who are, who are younger than three. And that those women uh, are also women who uh, will suffer financially from being uh, kicked out of the uh, workforce or dropping out because that's really the only option. Um, and, 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 I, and you have to say too that, you know, if that's not the only policy, that's the problem. I mean, obviously it's um, pay inequality and it's, you know, no attention to sexual violence and the trauma and the lasting impact of uh, sexual violence as well as um, sexual harassment. Uh, and discrimination in the workplace. So, and of course, you know, having, you know, the choice to decide how large your family will be. Um, all of those things um, are, are more impediments on women's financial and economic equality. So, um, so talk to us about your, your top platform issues. Um, they are so important and you say them better than almost anybody I know. Well, forgive me. That's right. uh, 
I am a dog lover and I was endorsed by the Humane Society. Oh, wow. Uh, but um, I've got to talk about childcare and preschool and children just because it's my story, Deb. And something that you did back then was, you know, you put yourself through law school, you had these little kids. Um, it wasn't easy for you. And I could see this fierce, strong, beautiful, successful woman looking back over her shoulder with a hand behind her, pulling me up when I needed it, when I really needed it. And, you know, at the time, Owen, I was trading babysitting with a woman who lived in my neighborhood and it was not a good situation. I paid her a little bit and then I watch her kids to work off some of my bill. But honestly, Owen was learning his colors from the Power Rangers. And it was not a healthy situation. She had far too many kids in that house. Um, it was not tenable. And I had to work the jobs I needed to work. But my dream was to be able to go to Purdue University and get my degree. And because you helped me get him an Imagination Station, which was a high quality, high quality facility with teachers that really cared, that meant my life would go that meant I could go and go to school and, and make all that happen. I remember I had a work study job when I was there in the communications department. And it was really important to me because it was resume building. And, you know, I wanted to get a job after I got that degree. And I went to my boss at the time who was a woman and I asked her for a raise and she offered me a nickel an hour. Ooh. And I remember thinking, how many hours am I going to have to work to afford that one hour, one hour, one extra hour of care at Imagination Station where I was already getting a price break because you helped me get them in the giant steps. What was I going to do? You know, so that was where I um, took on an extra shift as a waitress because I didn't want to quit that job. I needed to keep it because I was writing press releases and pitching story to local media. And, you know, it was something that was actually real world experience, which was going to be important for that next step. But it was expensive because it cost me more to have that job. It cost me more to work that hour in daycare than it did in my pay packet. And you know, women are facing these kinds of issues all the time. And with COVID, we've seen the job losses, we're bearing the brunt of it. And something that's so timely, and I'm, I so appreciate you bringing this up now too, is in COVID, we've seen it. And I think one of the hidden issues of COVID that's coming out, and it's important too, is the men who are working from home are seeing how difficult it is to raise kids, keep that job down, work, you know, have all these balls in the air. And we're seeing too our daycare providers and our preschools struggling because they can't accept as many kids because of social distancing and they have to take on the burden of cleaning. And so you've got a certified preschool teacher who doesn't want to be a janitor at the same time, right. but, but they have to because there's no one else. And so it just, it, it's just a very complicated situation, but some hope I see is that people are beginning to see these issues that you describe, quality care for children, preschool, affordability and access to things like daycare and kindergarten prep. Um, they're seeing these issues as economic development issues. 
and not as women's issues. And that's a key shift in thinking. And we have to keep pushing hard on that and making sure that we don't let go when, when things get a little better and a little easier again. And honestly, that's one of my biggest regrets. You know, losing's not easy because when you care about these issues, like you just want to, you want to be positioned to do something about it. So I'm determined to keep talking about it and reminding people um, of why it is that this is such a significant thing for so many. And this is an issue that's not going to go away. And two, as we're living through COVID and we see some of our kids are going to have real challenges with their educational pathway that's been um, blown up because of how they're having to learn, you know, or not learn online or not being present or because they've gotten ill, um, that we're going to have to rally and, and give them more support so that they too are teed up for success and their educational and career pathways as they get older. And then yeah. when they become parents, they have the resources they need to do a good job too. Right. It is, I think, so unfortunate that our uh, federal government did so little to support parents uh, who were home teaching kids. Uh, I sit on a school board here. And so I, you know, hear from parents all the time. And, uh, and I don't know how they did it. I don't, I mean, I can't imagine having young children now and trying to be a teacher all of a sudden. Uh, and with so little support, um, you know, I mean, a lot of those stories were really very comical. <laughs> um, um, but, um, but, Overall, this is just not, you know, obviously not a tenable situation where you're just asking parents to suddenly rise to the level of being an elementary or a middle school or a high school math teacher. It's yeah, and, you know, how the about the family? Yeah, I mean, the families that only have, um, whoops, like one of these, you know? Yeah. But they've got four kids or the families that are transient and can't afford to stay in one apartment. And so they've got their little kids, you know, sitting outside a Taco Bell, hoping right. to catch on to the free Wi-Fi so they can participate in their classwork. Yeah. What yeah. happens now that it's cold and they can't, and there's a resurgence and you're thinking, my kid's got asthma. Do I compromise their health right. to, to favor their educational pathway or do I keep them home? What do I do? But I got to get to my hourly job. I mean, these are, complicated, difficult things. And it's clear, much of this is about infrastructure too. Infrastructure of care for our kids, educational infrastructure, but then things like um, wireless infrastructure and broadband and making sure that kids have the tools they need, you know, like this laptop, maybe you're watching this podcast on to, to do their work. I'll tell you too, Deb, I had a meeting with the CEO of Eli Lilly um, a few months ago during the campaign. And he said to me, Christina, the next pandemic, it's not a matter of if, but when. It's not a matter of if, but when. So this better be a wake up call too, that this kind of infrastructure had better be in place for next time. And it's a pandemic, it's a crisis. The world's never not gone through periods of crisis. So we have to be prepared. The adults in charge have to set their partisan bickering aside and get this important work done because 
our kids demand it, our country demands it, um, and the consequences are too dire to contemplate if it doesn't happen. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, and I will say, just want to say, I'm very proud of our school corporation, what we did uh, in our corporation. But I can't tell you, not one school board meeting went by without me yelling out, this is crazy that we are at a school corporation level trying to figure out how to overcome a worldwide pandemic. I mean, what, how is this happening like this? You know, we are making, you know, these very important decisions just at a corporate level. Uh, and certainly I was, you know, screaming about, you know, all of the women who are going to lose their jobs <laughs> and how are we going to support them? And, uh, and we did um, put together some uh, study rooms. So, so some big spaces where uh, women who were working, uh, who still had their jobs could bring their children and there would be someone there who was, you know, maybe not a teacher, but someone who could supervise a very small group of students, get them outside as much as possible and help them turn on their laptops and do their learning for the day. Um, and I thought that was one of the most important things that we did. So, you know, can, can I, I need to pause right there, Deb, because you've made a point that I think is, is critically important. And that is one of positional leadership. So there might be a lot of people listening to this podcast who might be interested in running for office someday. And I just want to underscore how important it is if you're in it for the right reasons, and maybe you're fired up to do something about healthcare, daycare, um, women's rights, uh, maybe you're really into transportation infrastructure or whatever it is, your cause, the thing that you care about more than anyone else that gets you out of bed and makes you want to run for office. You'll get to work on that a little bit. But what you did, Deb, in positional leadership as an elected leader, you were in the right place at the right time, but you didn't anticipate this pandemic coming. You didn't know this was going to happen. And a lot of why it's important that we have good people in positional elected leadership is much of what you work on comes to you. It's out of your control. You know, we don't control the universe and what happens, but you were on the spot at a time of critical need, it's still happening today. And you are that voice in that room to say like, hey, women are losing their jobs. We gotta do something. Hey, this is a problem. We need to set up these study rooms. And you might probably, I'm guessing, you never imagined that, you know, you thought you might have these other fights on your hands, right? Right. Um, but this is what you got. And so, I just want to encourage everyone who's thinking like, why not me? Maybe I could do something like that. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be fully braked and ready to go on every single thing that comes up because it hasn't happened yet and people haven't lived through it yet. But if you can be on the fly, do your homework, be in the moment, keep your head down and care about people on solutions, then you're needed. So don't wait to be perfect. You know, you got a good heart, you got a good mind, you're in it for the right reasons. And you're thinking like, yeah, I can do that. I'm here to say, yeah, you can. In fact, you better. Uh, you're so awesome. Uh, and I, I'm going to keep you around. And I, I have to keep like a clip of this video because of course um, I'll be out there recruiting um, uh, other outstanding women to run again in 2022. 
And so, um, so I'm always glad to make a call for that too. If you ever yes, need me. I, yes, um, yes. We are going to need all the help we can get. I mean, after 2020 and after the new, uh, new, uh, improved gerrymandering, um, it's, it's going to be a hard sell, but, um, but women need to run and they need to do this. And, uh, even when those stakes look terrible, um, women still need to run and get in there. And it, if, if nothing else, you know, shift the conversation. Uh, and talk yeah. about what needs to be discussed. Uh, yeah, and, and winning, I've won and lost. Winning is great. Losing's not so bad. I mean, you know, I went on to have a regular column in the um, business journal. I went on to do, you know, uh, punditry and to be, you know, a, a talking head on on local CBS and Fox and, you know, be able to, to have that voice to remind people of what's really important. And I, you don't know what's going to happen to you, win or lose, um, but you become more Teflon, you become more yourself, you, more, you become more clear about what you think. And um, there are so many ways to stay engaged and remain that voice. And then you know, maybe two years later, four years later, you try again and the result is different. Um, but, but throwing your hat in the ring is really important. Yes. And you have, you have done so much despite, you know, not becoming a congresswoman. So, so, and that's amazing. So, and of course, you know, the question that's hanging in the air here, Christina is, you know, you know, the Senate race is, you know, two years away. So how you feeling? What are you thinking? Maybe about the Senate race. <laughs> I'm not thinking about that Senate race. I've said, you know, the only thing I'm running for right now is the mini marathon in Indianapolis. So I think there's going to be a lot of interest. I, and I think there's going to be a really active primary in that race because people are fired up. And we just had the experience of Georgia, which isn't a parallel experience, but it is an inspiring experience. And something that gets me out of bed and makes me really happy. It's just seeing like so when I ran for office in 2012, it wasn't the cool thing to do. People weren't like, you know, they had to, I, it, it, nobody was thinking about it. Something you've done too is like encouraging people making those calls and saying, why not you? And I think more people are thinking like, yeah, why not me? I'm going to try. And that's really healthy. And that's evidence that the beginnings happen. You know, the momentum is coming. So whether it's in 2022 or 2024, or what happens? Um, I got a lot of life in me, but um, yeah, not 2022. <laughs> no, you no. say that now, but you know, okay. Well, come on now, come on, come on. And you know that you know, you know, I'll be there for you. Thank you. So, I appreciate. It. Yeah. So that, and you know, would love to help in any way. So, all right. Um, great. I think we've covered everything that we should cover, um, even though there's so much more to say. So um, thank you so much. And I always um, love to ask you um, for parting words of wisdom. So what do you got for us? You've given us a lot of wisdom already. But. Oh, just um, don't wait to be perfect. Don't wait to be asked. Um, if you have the spark inside of you, listen to your gut and then be on the lookout for that opportunity. And when you see it, jump on it, you know, and I know, um, um, 
sometimes you jump on in and the people that you expected to support you aren't there. And they might be within your own party or your tribe or something. And you're thinking, oh, I've just been like, you just hail, you just teed me up to jump in and do this thing. And now like, you know, crickets, no one's helping me. That happens a lot. It's happened to me, you know, um, people will say you're not ready or something like that. But if your gut's saying do it, do it. And then look out for the helpers because I promise you there will be some people there that hurt your feelings and discourage you. That will happen. So get ready. But there will also be people that you don't even know exist in this moment who will help you throughout your campaign and your journey. And at the end, you'll think like, I couldn't even have gotten here without them. And I wouldn't even gotten in the race if I, if I knew that, you know, but I, I didn't even know they existed. And here, my goodness, those people are out there too. And they will come and flock to you, um, provided you're, you're nice and, you know, not a total jerk. Um, and I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, you know, in essence, a kind person. So um, just all those things are happening. And just please uh, keep hope alive. Oh, my God. Well, thank you so much, Christina. You are just the best. And I just am so excited just to watch um, watch you. Uh, and it has been a great, a great journey watching you already, but uh, I know you've got a lot more to give. So, all no. right, I'm signing I off. Gotta keep, I got to keep paying it forward.